The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. Because my job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Out with the old. In with the old. We have a tendency in this business to make decisions by calendar, especially the changing of the guard in the new year. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for one very simple reason. Other than the change in the calendar, nothing's changed in the economy. It's still slowing. Nothing's changed with the Fed. It's still focused on raising rates to bring down wages. Nothing's changed with earnings. What's bad stayed bad, and in some cases the bad was accentuated. Yeah, it got worse. So we got a stupid sucker rally this morning. I mean, unbelievable. It's based on Europe. It quickly fell apart by the time we did our daily 10:20 a.m. broadcast, exclusive for the Investing Club, with the Dow ultimately shedding 11 points, S&P slipping 0.4%, Nasdaq losing 0.76%. Believe me. It was much worse earlier in the day. It was so bad that I just said, is it going to be another 2022? Now, look, I've been off for a week and a half. Thank you. So let me remind you what was working and what wasn't going to be working into the holidays. Because, again, despite what you may hear about how the new year brings big changes, it just doesn't. First, because we're going into a slowdown, the recession-proof stocks tried mightily to stay higher. Think healthcare or consumer packaged goods. They were working. We bought a health insurer for the charitable trust today. I feel good about it. As the group just got hit with some very wrong-headed downgrades. I don't think they'll make money on those sales at all. Second, the China non-zero COVID stocks continue to work their way higher because now that they're reopening, uh, millions have caught the virus. But there's no going back. At this point, China's headed for the fabled herd immunity, although they're getting it the wrong way by, getting, by letting you know, everybody get sick rather than the right way by giving them the best vaccines. 
Herd immunity not great for the elderly. But Wall Street only cares that China's back in business. The best performing stocks today were China-related stocks. The worst performers were, once again, the oils. Crude just can't seem to find any footing. As long as West Texas Intermediate, though, is above 70. I think this should, uh, the oils will have good yields. The ones that have good yields should come out ahead. I'm betting it stays above $70 because there's less supply from Russia and more demand from a reopened China, although we don't know how much yet. We just told club members to stay the course, but it won't be easy if crude tumbles to the high 60s, down roughly 7 bucks from here. Why stick my neck out for the oils? Because these are companies with cheap stocks that throw off tremendous amounts of cash flow. Eventually, they will matter. That'll matter to the market. Not yet. Sometimes you got to go against the proverbial grain, betting it can change. Hey, by the way, later in the show, I'm going to make that a compelling case for buying the stocks of crude here. Meanwhile, the semiconductor stocks continue their race to the bottom. They are just awful. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? All of them opened up huge, the perfect pickoff, and that led to some real bad trading and only some kickouts as this group can't be trusted. We had a semiconductor glut last year, and I don't see that ending anytime soon. It's not necessary getting it's it's not necessarily getting worse, okay? It's not. But you're jumping the gun if you think it's getting better. Finally, let's address the elephant in the room, spend some time here on the mega cap tech stocks. They were down last year, and they're going down again today. Uh, before a late-day rally allowed some to finish higher. Out with the old, in with some of the old. For the longest time, we valued these stocks like their high growth rates could continue forever. Money managers will pay a massive premium for the stocks with endless growth. Last year, we found out that's not the case. They got too big, too cyclical, subject to the same booms and busts as every other company. Now their stocks are crashing back to earth, uh, and that's helped, by the way, of course, the Fed bent on crushing high inflationary growth. Now, we've been telling club members that if you don't already own Apple, you must wait until you see the whites of Apple's eyes, which in this case could be a brutal pre-announcement. It'll be interpreted by the negativists as an Apple glut, too much product. Still, I believe Apple issues related to supply, not demand. It's going to be a tough time to own stock. But Apple's such a high-quality company. I mean, come on. I'm sticking with it with my usual attitude. Own it, don't trade it. Now, sure. Hey, listen. Maybe you can sell it. Get out right here. Good for you. But can you get back in at a lower price before things turn around? I don't have that confidence. The rest of the megas are they're really, well, they're trouble. Tesla just reported a shortfall in fourth quarter deliveries, sending the stock down nearly another 12% today. It doesn't help that Elon Musk has been forced to sell so many of his shares in order to prop up Twitter. This is the worst possible time for him to be distracted because it's the year the major automakers can finally sell high-quality electric vehicles at scale. Never, Tesla's never had any real competition before. Amazon and Apple both have a chance to go on higher. But it might not be easy. Amazon's fate's in its own hands. They just have to say, all right, you know what? Forget what we've been doing. Let's do this. We're going for profitability first and growth second. That's the, all, the opposite of their whole ethos. But it's what Wall Street wants to hear. I think CEO Andy Jassy might need to fire up to 200,000 people. And let's shut down, hey, I don't know, 10 annoying ventures to get the stock moving again. Brutal. But that's what the market demands. Alphabet's interesting because it sells for 17 times earnings. That's just like an average stock, for heaven's sake. Because it turns out to be an advertising company. 
The good news is that Alphabet now has an excuse to shutter costly side businesses and lay off many of the people who aren't accomplishing all that much, including the ones that are all trying to teach that they hired just this year. The only kind of ad- well, just last year. The only kind of advertising that goes up in price is the NFL. They now have it on YouTube. If it turns out you're running an ad company, hey, why not have the best must-watch programming to advertise against as opposed to what they had? We thought new media was different from old media. Apparently, that's not the case. But all Alphabet has to do is run itself like an old media company at this point to get the stock going again. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Like the old CBS. Microsoft is such a quandary. Can you imagine hiding in a stock that sells at 25 times earnings? But CEO Satya Nadella knows how to deliver. You know what? He's the anti-Elon Musk in every single way. Finally, there's the debacle that is meta-platforms. Yeah, I'll just do this because everybody wants me to do it. Here's a stock that now trades at the same price earnings multiple as a solid tool and die company. When your shares are that cheap, you got a lot of leeway to do a lot of things, even wrong things, and still see the stock go up. That's Meta, soon to be known as Reels, their TikTok knockoff, as the anti-China sentiment may spell the end of TikTok in the United States. I can't tell you how important this could be for the stock. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to commercialize something that can't be commercialized right now. Right now, meaning for the next couple of years, the metaverse. As nobody wants to stick a headset on and walk around looking like an avatar made by a fifth grader, okay? I mean, am I near? Am I going to walk into a wall? Someone help me. That's, that's what the metaverse means right now. It's not the ultimate shopping mall. It's the ultimate hit a wall where you can, you know, the mall would be good. I mean, you could try on clothes, go to the aisle, maybe do some banking. Amazon on steroids. Maybe one day it will be. But for now, Zuckerberg needs to put someone else in charge, slash the budget to ribbons, get the free cash flow growth to positive. It's been very negative. And find an aggressive effort for Reels to take massive share for TikTok. Amazing. He is not even behind the attack on TikTok. Wouldn't it be, remember the old Facebook would have like shuttled, you know, they'd be getting money to people and stuff to get it so that we'd realize that TikTok was just Mal's latest venture? No, no. Now, they, they're, now they're Mr. Clean. If Meta can do that, then the stock can make a comeback. But it's way too soon to make that bet. Look, we have a lot of uh, talk, uh, a, lot, a lot to talk about as the week unfolds. We're going over the winners and losers in 2022. That could be the best performers 2023 for the next few days. But bottom line, if you have one takeaway, one takeaway from turning the, the page on the calendar, it's the meaninglessness of the stock market calendar. It always will be. December it turns out, I learned this when I was in like second grade, it's really close to January. February is between, it's not between December. Well, you know, you know the order. The fundamentals are what matters. And sadly, we have not turned the page on the economy. Just the calendar. Hey, do you mind if we go to Jeff in Florida, please? Jeff. Happy New Year, Jim. Happy New Year, Jeff. Hey, I'm a club member and a longtime fan of you and the show. Um, I'm also a Berkshire Hathaway Class B holder. Would this be a good time to add my Berkshire B position? Yes. Yes, I would buy more Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, look, it's got, uh, I've got to tell you, this stock may be really the right level. And I know so many people worried about what's going to happen after, you know, I don't have to talk about it. All I can tell you is this. It's a very inexpensive stock, and I like it. Some people would say it's actually a cheaper way to play Apple, and it's been a winner in the last three months. Now, we are turning the page in the calendar, but you have to remember that it's actually meaningless to stop work. And don't let people tell you otherwise. You're going to say, oh, you know, January votes well for this. No! The fundamentals are what matters. We haven't turned the page from the economy. Oh, man, but it's right. The mighty Dow had some big winners in 2022. I'm thinking into the five names that I think could keep cruising higher in the new year. 
Then, this market remains hostage to the Fed's fight against inflation and commodity prices. They're a huge part of it. So I got to go off the charts on a handful of key, me, key commodities to see where we stand as I have the hiccup. Can you believe it? First day of the year. Stand and start a new trade here. And could the worst performing Dow stocks of 2022 present some opportunity this year? I'm giving you five more big ideas for the next year. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. At the beginning of every January around here, we make a point of going over what worked and what didn't in the previous year. Tonight, we're doing the same thing for 2022, but with a twist, because there's so many duplicates between the major averages, we've had to go deeper. This year, over the next few days, we're trying to figure out what will be the best and worst performers for the Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ 100 by looking at the best and worst stocks from each index in terms of last year's action. So let's get right into it. Let's start with my favorites to repeat as winners from the last year's top 15 best performers in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Here's the top 15. We joke at the office about the mighty Dow, which is my research champion, Ben Stoto's term, what turned out to be the best of the best in 2022, because the Dow's been much stronger than the other indices. These companies tend to make things or do stuff out of profit while returning capital to shareholders, all with reasonably priced stocks, exactly the rubric for what worked once the Fed declared war on inflation back in November 2021. I actually had a hard time picking just five from these 15 winners because there are so many good stocks in Dow. It's chock full of potential winners in an environment where we expect the Federal Reserve will engineer a slowdown, but not necessarily a recession, at least by the traditional definition of recession, two straight quarters of gross domestic product shrinkage. I want to start by saying that I'm doing these picks in no particular order other than I think that they'll do the best this year. 
And each year, there tends to be a cluster of winners. Now I'm giving you my picks for the cluster of Dow winners for 2023, as chosen from the top Dow winners of 2022. We'll start with Chevron, which was clubbed like a baby seal today on oil weakness. I say that's good, not because I like seal killers. I don't. But because Chevron's stock got cheaper as it goes down. I'm a big believer in the oil stocks for 2023, although they're not going to be as great as last year. Going forward, you have to be selective with the oils because when the Fed slams the brakes of the economy, that tends to put downward pressure on energy prices. But as long as oil stays above 60, and I think it will, I think Chevron has a good chance despite today's trading. As I said at the top, it's okay to go against the grain, especially if China reopens and Russia may be forced to be a little more rational at some point next year. Why Chevron? Stewardship. Mike Worth is a very good CEO in an industry that doesn't have a lot of good CEOs. I'm not trying to insult the rest of the oil companies. It's just that most of them are ultimately hostage to the underlying commodity. They'll do well if oil does well, and they'll do badly if oil does badly. Later on, you will hear an expert commodity expert, an expert commodity analysis that says we are near the bottom of the oil range. Makes me want to buy more of these stocks from my travel trust. We do not currently own Chevron. We did made a lot of money. I'm anxious to get back in, but we own a lot of others. Under Mike's leadership, Chevron recognized that commodity is only one part of the equation. He's got a responsible dividend policy, giving you a 3.3% yield. I know that's not enough to, to uh, compete with short-term interest rates right now, but you're not going to find that the oil industry, uh, if you want to go deep, get big yield, you've got to go to the variable dividend names. Admittedly, that's exactly what we've done for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow simply by joining the CMEC Investing Club. But none of these stocks are Dow components. Chevron's got something on top of that dividend that Mike's come on our show and told us that he can afford to buy back a quarter of a share count, and he might very well do just that. He also knows that the oils can't just be oils anymore. He's committed $10 billion to fossil fuel alternatives, a number so high that Chevron actually got hit with a downgrade by a major firm on that news. It's just not the same industry anymore. I like the new trajectory of the oils, and I especially like Chevron. Next up. We know aerospace is a tremendous secular growth theme for 2023, and beyond there's a worldwide plane shortage. Now, we've seen a lot of order deferrals, but the airlines can't, well, the airlines can't do that forever and still remain competitive. So if we've got an aerospace bull market, you might think that makes Boeing the obvious pick. After all, there are only two companies, right, in the world that make uh, large commercial aircraft in scale, and Boeing's one of them. They have one real competitor. They should have, <laughs> they should have it made. Unfortunately, Boeing's one of the most poorly run companies on earth, and I'm just too snake bit with it. I think it can go higher, but it's going to do it without me. I want so much to recommend the stock, yet every time I'm immediately bushwhacked by events as they find some new way to drop the ball. And that's why I prefer the stock of Honeywell. Here's a dominant aerospace company. It owns the cockpit for both Boeing and Airbus, Boeing's competitor, although it's also got a tremendous climate control business, along with industrial software and alternative energy exposure. I like Honeywell because its CEO, Darius Adamczyk, if he wants to, he can spin off all sorts of divisions, and that's Honeywell's way, by the way, that are doing okay to make the company more focused. Now, it worked for United Technologies. Now, Raytheon, it can work for Honeywell. Third, last year, we bought Procter & Gamble for the Travel Trust because I see the worst headwinds becoming great tailwinds. Procter's incredibly sensitive to the dollar, and I think the dollar is now peaking. It's also the most sensitive to plastic prices. Think about what you buy from Procter. It's all in plastic, right? I think those peak. 
When it comes to a slowdown, you want to own recession-proof stocks in the consumer packaged goods group. Uh, Procter's the best of the best. The Dow has some great slowdown stocks in it, including Coca-Cola. But I'm going with P&G. Nice yield, too. Fourth, this is the golden age for an industry you don't care about at all, the insurance industry. Right now, they can take your premiums in and make a fortune by investing them in the treasuries risk-free at high rates. At the same time, they're also raising your premium. Oh, that's a formula for winning stock, which brings me to Travelers. This is simply a very good company that's great to own in the current environment. One of my favorite insurance plays, along with Chubb, by the way. Remember, in 2023, we are celebrating boring. Boring is good. Finally, picking from last year's best performers, I think Johnson & Johnson, I said this on Squawk on the Street this morning, may be the best Dow stock of 2023. As it spins off its consumer products unit, which will be known as Kenview, that's K-E-N-V-U-E, leaving it with arguably the best, fastest-growing pharma business outside of Eli Lilly's turbocharged portfolio with that potentially blockbuster obesity treatment. Change it's also giving you medical devices businesses that's been stalled because hospitals have been worried about COVID. That's, it's deferred a lot of business. But you can only defer these procedures for so long. Change is also buying one of the best makers of heart devices, Abiumed for $17 billion. And what I see is a very smart acquisition because it's got a niche business that is just, uh, let's just say, unassailable. How about the, the consumer business being spun out? This can you? What can I say? Listerine, Band-Aid, Aveeno, Neutrogena, Tylenol. Come on. They're in, your, they're in your medicine chest. I think the slower growth business occupies too much of management's time. Hence the, head, the need for the spinoff. But once it's an independent company, you could argue that it'll be perfectly poised to take over the industry by acquiring its competitors. The only problem is we've got this uh, Striden FTC commission. You know, the FTC is just really tough on deals. Probably block most, probably block most things. Uh, uh, they don't want to see more consolidation. No matter. I think this group's been starved. Now we'll have money and focus and therefore more aisle space because they'll do a better job at Kenby. In the end, J&J is a great steward of capital. It's been a core holding of my travel trust for ages, and we're sticking with it unless something totally nuts happens. I bet you'd cease 200. Here's the bottom line. When you look at the best performers in the Dow from last year, I'm betting Chevron, Honeywell, Procter & Gamble, Travelers, and J&J can all repeat their excellent performances in 2023. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, boom, bust, and around the horn again. Last year, commodities couldn't seem to make up their mind. But a new year is underway. Next. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgard, Fgard Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgard.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. As we kick off the new year, we got to talk about commodities. This market remains hostage to the Fed's war on inflation and commodity prices. And that's a huge part of what I think is important for whether the Fed's going to be done or not. I want to remind you of something important. At the end of the day, commodity markets are the ultimate boom and bust businesses. So not like wage inflation. Now, we got a harsh lesson in that last year when the price of oil or natural gas or wheat gets too high, companies boost production, which pushes pricing back down. That's Econ 101. Then when the price gets too cheap, they cut production and prices rebound. At some point last spring, though, we convinced ourselves that commodity prices could keep roaring endlessly higher, not only stocks, in November of 2021, until the prices collapsed in the second half of the year. Looking forward, you need to understand this boom and bust cycle. It's a big part of what we're going to talk about this year. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. Oh, she's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading. She's the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, a book that I've read and I like very much. And she's also a resident commodity expert. Remember, she's the one who predicted peak, the peak in oil over the summer when virtually every other commentator, including two that I heard today on air but didn't admit it, said it was going 150. How'd she make that call? Simple. She never forgot the basics of the oil market. And that holds for so many other commodities that soared in price last year when Russia invaded Ukraine. Wheat, natural gas, too. Momentum-oriented money managers poured their capital into this stuff only to get their heads handed to them in the second half when the commodity markets normalize. So let's, let's look at this. Let's, let's, why don't we start with oil? Okay, so I want you to check out. This is West Texas Intermediate Crude. So in other words, think Permian, okay? Money managers have been perpetually long the oil futures for several years now. According to the CFTC's Commitment of Traders report, this is what we're kind of extrapolating here, There are currently net long just 230,000 futures contracts, which is pretty low. Uh, But it's also the least bullish they've been since 2016. In other words, while the price of oil has come down hard over the past few months, Garner points out that's because of a huge liquidation event. These money managers got crushed and ended up being forced to sell because they bought the oil futures with borrowed money. They always use leverage. Throughout last year, Garner was adamant that oil would return to its previous trading channel once sanctioned Russia oil got to rerouted to places like China and India. And that's exactly what happened. For 2023, Garner expects oil to bounce. Write these down, because this is really a lot of my stuff is based on this. She expects oil to bounce around between 65 to 70, a barrel on the low end, to the mid-90s or maybe the low hundreds on the high end. In the end, she expects this channel to be resilient, all right? And uh, that is why she recommends buying the dips like we had today. 
Again, if not for the COVID crash in 2020 and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Garner thinks oil would have slowly worked its way higher in this long-term trend. In other words, we'd be about where we are today. With crude at 77, we're near the low end of the trading range, which makes it feel more sanguine. Remember what I said at the top of the show, I like the stocks as they go lower. Maybe it's already bottomed at these levels, and Garner says that any retest of the lows would be a buying opportunity, which is why I started and was saying today that I really felt that you could buy Chevron and other oils in bulletins that I sent out to club members, and our new, by the way, 2 o'clock podcast that we do called Homestretch. Next up, now I want you to take a gander the weekly chart of wheat, which we don't talk about enough because it has to do with food stuff. Just like oil, the price of wheat skyrocketed when Russia invaded Ukraine. That's, we always call that the breadbasket bread of Europe. It's 13% of, our, of the world's calories. But that wasn't just because a ton of farmland became unusable. It's also driven by speculators who were eager to bet on wheat versus, uh, via the ETFs. There was so much ETF buying that the futures market couldn't handle the volume. The Chicago Mercantile's Exchange circuit breakers fired for weeks. That's right. I mean, they actually couldn't handle the ETF, which so much money pours into versus the actual future. But eventually, the wheat market went back to normal. According to Garner, wheat was in a long-term uptrend, bouncing between $8 and $10. You can see this here. Okay. Look at this. And without it, the war, it, it likely would have stayed in that channel. As prices came back down, remember, every commodity is hostage to the boom and bust cycle. The speculators who went long wheat in the spring, well, guess what? They got wiped out, which, has pros, which pushed the price below $8. Garner thinks that's unsustainable, too. If we can break out above $8, she could see it headed to the high end of the range at $10 this year. Okay, we go back up. She just, just like oil, she's betting 2023 will be a buy-the-dips year. Now, we don't trade much off of wheat, and I look at it for some of the foodstuffs. But for those who do trade commodities, this has great, volati- uh, great viability. The thing I would say is, is, is that the Fed chief does care about foodstuff and food inflation. So it's why I bother to put this in, okay? Now, how about natural gas futures? Because we all, I'm a big part of our country is heated by natural gas. Take a look at weekly, weekly chart of its futures. There's a common assumption that nat gas prices will go up during the winter as people spend more money heating their homes. But that's only if we have a cold winter, for heaven's sake. That's why Garner says the path of least resistance for natural gas is generally lower through December. Sure enough, in December 2021, nat gas got clobbered. Okay, so we can take a look and we can see nat gas going way down. All right. Uh, Then it would soared when Russia invaded uh, uh, Ukraine for only returning to a previous trading range in the fourth quarter. Now, this was totally unexpected, this decline. Then a major liquefied natural gas export terminal in our country uh, shut down, making it harder for American producers to ship this stuff to Europe, where it's in super high demand. And so prices got hammered. Too much glut in this country. In the next few weeks, the plant should reopen, which should give natural gas a nice boost. One of the reasons why I like the stock of Coterra. Right now, though, the longs are getting killed. Natural gas is broken down below its floor support near 460. So look at this. This is, this, is, this is deflationary. And even breaking below its 200-week moving average near 375 earlier today. Talk about deflation. Look at that. Remember, the Fed's targeting wage inflation, deflation. But I think this is much more important than the Fed gives it credit. Garner can't rule out a violent retest of the late 2021 lows near 350. Okay, that would be something. 
Uh, but she expects to see a sharp reversal at some point in the not-too-distant future, leading to a major multi-month rebound. As she sees it, the speculators got too positive in the middle of last year, only to get obliterated as natural gas came back to earth again. You see this, you know, they get positive at the top, and then they get crushed. Now, these same speculators have gotten too negative, and she's betting they'll get wrecked in the other direction, especially once that Freeport LNG facility is back online. That produces a ton of natural gas to be sent to, to Europe. Of course, Garner says the previous floors of support will act as ceilings of resistance on the way back up, and that's four sixty-six bucks and seven dollars. But only she sees natural gas making its way back to the six to seven dollar range, much much higher than where it is now. However, right now natural gas isn't glut because there isn't enough pipeline capacity to take it to where it should go if the export market's tied up as it is. In short, last spring, oil, natural gas, and wheat prices all skyrocketed in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They went to insane levels, propped up by overeager traders who completely misread the situation. Then towards the end of the year, those markets normalized and prices plummeted, with much of the move also fueled by money managers chasing momentum. Going forward, Garner expects them to mount a comeback. So here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, tell us that the boom and bust cycle in commodities never stops. And right now, that's good news for oil, which we are buying for the Chapel Trust, natural gas, and wheat prices. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Happy New Year's booyah to you, Jim. Oh, Jimmy Chill says booyah right back at you. How can I help? Thank you. I want to talk to you about energy, energy, ticker energy. Uh, Trading at eight times forward earnings, great free cash flow, but they purchased Vivint Smart Home early December for $5.2 billion. That was half debt. Since then, I've seen some insider buys, but no bits on the market, just a lot of accumulation. Are you concerned with the additional debt added to the balance sheet, and are you a buyer here for I actually kind of like this stock. I tell you, Paul, I think I kind of like this stock. I am, uh, by the way, prone to the utilities here because I think there's a slowdown. I think you might have a winner here with NRG. I, I've written this thing all the way up, all the way down, and all the way back. And I like this level. I like the yield. I, th- I think that it looks okay to me. I want to do more work. But right now, the last time I looked at NRG, which was like last week, it was pretty darn good. All right, the charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, tell us that the boom and bust cycle in commodities never stops. And remember, when it gets this high, more comes out. When it gets this low, the, the speculators are blown out. Uh, there's much more ahead, okay? May, uh, I'm taking a look at the weakest Dow stocks of 2022, sharing some ideas that I think could work in the new year. Then I have a new model for the first half of the year. I'll reveal what it is. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Chill Kramer. Here's the worst, and I'm going for best of the worst. That's my name for my five favorite stocks from the bottom half of the Dow Jones Industrial Average this year. Now, I hate idiotic conventions like the dogs of the Dow, which is the philosophy of buying the worst performers in the Dow, betting uh, it'll produce superior performance going forward. You're going to hear about it in the next couple of days. It's pure autopilot analysis, and I prefer to, to actually add some brains to the operation. So what are the best of the worst in the Dow? I'll say this. It's a lot more complicated than picking the best of the best. Let's start with Disney. Here's a franchise that is so much going for it. You think the stock could be in the, let's say, I don't know, how about 40 points higher? And it did have a great start in rallying today up two bucks. But it's been hurt by the weakness in advertising, along with cord cutting in cable, theme park closures from COVID, terrible balance sheet from its foolish Fox acquisition. It paid too much. 
Worst of all, Disney's had bad leadership. Initially, I was a believer in Bob Chapek, the recently ousted CEO. He did a great job running the theme parks. I figured he could extend that to the rest of the operation. But in the end, it was a dismal failure. Chapek alienated everybody, and he didn't even address the balance sheet issue. His last conference call, by the way, could have been a ride at Disneyland because it was a fairy tale. He had to go. Although I'm not thrilled with the press reports that suggest I played any role here at all. No more than a sports writer calling for the head of a football coach that can be blamed when the uh, coach is fired. Chapek's now been uh, replaced by his predecessor, the beloved Bob Iger. I think Iger wouldn't have taken the job if he didn't have a game plan to turn things around. But in a way, that's the problem. I have no idea what his plan could be. Maybe that's why Disney's trading in the 80s and not in the 120s, because no one has any idea where it's headed. We only know there's a much better driver at the wheel, and that is why we've stuck with it for my charitable trust. And we write about it constantly, and I talked about it today, and I continue to talk about it. I'll do so tomorrow, probably at our 1020 show. Second best of the worst, I was surprised to see American Express at the bottom half of this index. But that's just a testament to the strength of the mighty Dow. MS is no-nonsense CEO Steve Squirrel is ready for an expansion and prepared for a slowing economy, both. Most investors are terrified the slowdown will lead to many delinquencies. But I think they're missing the point. Right now, we have an incredible boom in travel and entertainment, uh, right when American Express has gained major appeal with younger people for exactly those uses. It drives me crazy that people don't realize this is a millenn- that millennials love the card. Of course, American Express is ascending uh, right at the rest as the rest of the financial tech space, fintech, is sunsetting. I say good riddance. So many companies tried to topple this one, and it just hasn't happened. While I also like the Visa and MasterCard, their stocks are a lot more expensive, actually twice as expensive. Sure, they've got faster growth and no credit risk, but remember my mantra. We want companies that make things and do stuff with stocks that trade at reasonable prices and 14 times earnings. American Express is more than reasonable. I think this is a tremendous bounce-back stock, although also there's done a great deal of, uh, uh, to help small businesses. I'm no longer in the restaurant business, by the way, because the federal government won't let you own both a restaurant and a liquor company. And my wife, Lisa, owns a thing called Fosforo Mezcal. But I can tell you that Amex is your best friend if you happen to be running a bar. I do wish they'd roll up the point-of-sale outfits because I trust these guys more than the fintech bums. But there's no hurry. It's that these stocks are only going to get cheaper. But Steve Square, you must do it. you got to make it so it's one stop. i got to tell you, it is the way to be able to make it so American Express owns the whole shooting match. Third best, the worst. Cisco. Hey, listen, this is a real quandary for me. The stock sells for 13 times earnings, more than 3% yield, yet it's getting more and more of its earnings from software, and it's growing and accelerating. It's growing and accelerating. So I don't understand what it's doing down here. I think Cisco's winning business from uh, the data center to the enterprise, but nobody seems to care. Maybe it needs more of its revenue to come from subscriptions than it has right now. Maybe it needs an acquisition to boost the growth. Or maybe they'd be better off, I don't know, unloading some of the slower-growing legacy businesses or, or even acquisitions that didn't really work out. I don't know. i got, I got to get more in-depth on this one this year, but I don't want to give up on a terrific tech value stock in a market that's still full of overvalued companies, even if their stocks have suffered gigantic declines. Watch that Oracle. That's a values check stock. Watch what that's been doing. At this point... We're not betting on whether CEO Chuck Robbins of Cisco can turn things around. That's already happened. You're betting that 2023 will be the year when Wall Street recognizes Chuck's accomplishments. Next up, here's a controversial one. The now much maligned, disliked, oh, let's just say what it is, hated 
Salesforce.com. Last night I told members of the CNBC Investing Club that I, I truly regret round-tripping Salesforce. Wish we'd sold more at higher levels, although any money manager worth his salt would own up to that kind of mistake. And here I am right now on national TV. I got this one very wrong for most of last year. But um, in, in, let me give you my defense. I've been recommending the stock of Salesforce since co-founder and CEO Mark Benioff came on this show roughly 14 years ago when the stock traded eight bucks and I got behind it. I know the software uh, helps companies boost sales and the numbers have always been excellent. So Salesforce, I think, has come back to earth and is ready to bounce. Now, but oh, for over a year now, I've, I've known that expensive tech stocks were going to be uh, toxic for your portfolio. I made an exception for Salesforce. And that was wrong. You got to admit when you're wrong. Hey, on 2023, I'm making a, news, uh, making a resolution for everybody else on TV. Would you please admit you're wrong just occasionally? Like maybe, maybe even be, feel that you're wrong about like your tie or something or like your shirt. So why turn positive on Salesforce for 2023? First, the dollar's peaked, and that's huge because the strong dollar's been killing them. Second, while there are other companies ripping, at, nipping at their heels, that's all they've done. Nip. And now those competitors are no longer well-funded while their stocks have been o- devastated causing a talent exodus because so many people in tech are paid stock-based compensation. Meanwhile, this year, the activist investors at Starboard are going to pressure Benioff, I think, much tougher than they did in 2022, into making cost cuts that, be, that I think he's been reluctant to make, even though it's probably uh, inevitable and he knows it's got to happen. Starboard gives him someone else to blame for the layoffs? Now, it was a gut punch when CEO Brett Taylor left. He was the co-CEO with Mark. We all loved him. But maybe that should have been obvious, given that Taylor just made a fortune in the side gig as the chairman of Twitter, for at least for his shareholders. Selling that thing to Elon Musk for $44 billion is practically daylight robbery. You can't beat the richest man in the world like that and keep playing second fiddle with someone else in the main job. He needed his own horse to ride. And I say, I like Taylor. I can't play him one bit. Without Taylor, though, there's still plenty to like at Salesforce. This is a company with gigantic cash flow, excellent cash in the till, and more than 20% growth. The stock should be able to bounce back as it becomes obvious that it's one of the sole survivors on the software as a service base. There won't be many. Finally, Goldman Sachs doesn't deserve to be in the bottom half of the Dow. This is David Solomon's house, full bore. And he's demonstrated a remarkable ability to be tough on the divisions that aren't making enough money. What's amazing to me is how well Goldman's doing without M&A or IPOs. I don't think either will come back strong in 2023, but let's just say it's hard for them to be worse than they were in 2022. Let's just call it easy compares. The bottom line, Disney, American Express, Cisco, Salesforce, and Goldman Sachs, much of the Dow that I'm betting will be adopted by investors who can see through the headwinds to the positives of them all. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad, time for the lightning round. Carson, it's over. Dean, come for you, Dean. Hi, uh, Jim. My name is Dean. I'm calling from uh, Southern California, and I was interested okay. in uh, Capital One Financial. What do you think about okay, that? Okay, Capital One, I think if people want to be able to sell these banks that have credit problems. That's probably one of the more likely. It will get through this, but it's always been a tough sock to own going into a slowdown. Scott in Virginia, Scott. 
Yes, sir. How are you tonight? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Happy New Year. What's happening? Hey, uh, I'd really like to find out about Rivian. Saw one yesterday on, uh, on, on, uh, I saw one on Springfield, Springfield. that was on Summit Avenue. I looked at it, I said, sell, sell, sell. All right, let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Hey, Big Jim, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Listen, I made a ton of money on Hertz. Sold 4,000 shares at 36. Still sitting on 4,000 shares. Should I hold on to it or should I... You, you bet you should. You know you've got going in your corner. you got Steve Scher. He's the best. I want to buy that stuff from my travel trust. I've actually been thinking about that. Insure in your corner, you can't miss. I, actually, he is pretty good. Can I go to Leslie in California, please? Leslie! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my of wife course. and I, Diane, are big fans. Uh, appreciate the Love call. Love that. Um, you gave me a thousand dollars to spend at Christmas, and I'm looking for a little advice. Uh, I know you talked about the stock SLL Standard Lithium, and uh, yeah, no, no, that's like a, that's a quick way to turn a thousand dollars into like three hundred eighty dollars. We're gonna take a real hard pass on that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the new year is young. But it's not too soon to shed these risky assets. Kramer reveals them next. It's not too late to sell losers right now. That's my motto for the first part of 2023, because I fear it will be too late if you wait until the second half. First on the list of it's not too late to sell is crypto, anything crypto. Hardly a day goes by where we don't get more horrific headlines from crypto world. We all know about the travails of Sam Bankman-Fried, but there's constant wars among former colleagues all over the place in this industry. I know this sounds like inside baseball, but these internecine wars among major players are classic signs of a financial world that's actually falling apart. Don't take it from me. Listen to this LinkedIn post from John Stark, a cyber consultant who used, used to run the SEC's Office of Inter- Internet Enforcement, who I've known for decades. He says, and I quote, the crypto ecosystem is not just rife with fraud and grift. It's also replete with infighting and backstabbing. That's what happens in Ponzi schemes. Ponzi schemes. Oh, man. At this point, our eyes glaze over when we hear about these noisy Twitter ring fights in crypto world. But there are hundreds of billions of dollars still tied up in this stuff, including money that you may have. And that money's going to be vanishing right before your eyes. My view is very real simple. You can't afford to be in a security that isn't really a security, one that I argue you can't really store safely, not anywhere. As Stark says, and I quote, it's all one big hustle. Again, it's not too late to sell anything in crypto world. Anything! Other than crypto, SPACs have become a joke. Fortunately, many can be redeemed at the equivalent of par if they haven't done any deals yet. But the vast majority of these SPACs never should have existed. If I asked you to give me a blank check, you'd laugh at me at best. But people give these SPAC guys blank checks with no guardian, no cop on the beat, just like crypto. Yet they keep issuing them, for heaven's sake. I don't want you trafficking in a SPAC, all right? You are truly a chowderhead if you do. If you saw me on the street and you said, listen, I bought a SPAC, I'd have to say... Third, any enterprise software company that trades based on a price-to-sales ratio, not earnings, can be sold and sold now. 
While these are not as bad as baseless dot-coms from 20-odd years ago, they may still have further to fall if the underlying companies aren't turning a profit. This market has zero appetite for these kinds of securities, and there are hundreds of them. It's hard enough to own the stocks of high-quality, profitable enterprise software plays. Who needs the unprofitable ones? Holy cow! Finally, it's not too late to sell the electric vehicle stocks like Lucid or Rivian or Fisker or anything connected to them like uh, accoutrements like QuantumScape for batteries. These were all derivatives of Tesla. Finding the next Tesla has cost people billions and billions of dollars. As for Tesla itself, it may be the only legitimate pure-play electric vehicle stock, but even that's plummeting because it's come back to Earth because it missed its own projections. Sure, Tesla's come down a lot, but it never should have been so high in the first place. And things are only getting tougher now that the old line automakers have figured out electric vehicles. Musk's Twitter acquisition sure hasn't helped, but the stock would have gotten Sam Lee's numbers no matter what. This year, Ford and General Motors will offer real competition to Tesla. We'll see a flood of offerings by the fourth quarter. Competition is deadly when your business model comes down to being under, unrivaled. Amazon used to be the only web services company. Then Microsoft, Azure, Google, Cloud came. Now they're dealing with Snowflake. Real bad for profitability. Now the same thing's happening in electrical vehicle space. Again, it's not too late to sell. I know that many of you assume in the damage. You, you, look, you assume when you look at these that the damage is done, right? Uh, it's got to be over. But that's how a lot of people felt about the, the dot-coms in the beginning of 2001. Nope, there was a lot more downside. And that's what I'm expecting from these four groups in 2023. I lived through it. Don't repeat the costly mistakes of the dot-com collapse. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 